pretty amazing, and it was just a touch of confirmation and, and joy that I needed in the midst of dealing with this crisis situation, and um, it was just it was just a, a real blessing. And so Terry did my in- introduction for me, actually. Um, so that's what tonight's message is going to be on. It's going to be Psalm five, and the and the title is Prayer, Joy, and God's Protection. <clears throat> And so, um, if you can't get it working, that's okay. <laughs> the old Roman thing? <laughs> huh? Oh, oh yeah, he's just scared to death of going back to juvenile hall, as he should be. That's not a fun place. We go and visit kids there sometimes, and I wouldn't want to live there. <laughs> it's just not a good place, and so that's what he's afraid of. Um, I can't tell you his name because that would be a violation of the HIPAA, HIPAA Act, and I can't even tell you that. But God knows who he is, so just pray for the probation kid that that Chuck's. Uh, in a crisis with. Um, I told him not to text me that I was at church, and so he's kind of backed off, but I'm sure when we're done, it'll start all over again. He just needs encouragement right now. He's afraid. Thumbs up? Yes. So let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are an amazing creator that you give us the ability to see your creation right down to the tiniest atoms and molecules and that we can watch things like that and just have our faith uh, increased and our confidence in you increased, Lord. And so, Father, tonight we come before you with hearts of thanksgiving. We thank you for prayer, Lord. We thank you for the joy that you bring us And Lord, we thank you for your protection. We love you, Lord Jesus. We lift you on high. We exalt you, Lord, as our King and our Savior, the one who loved us first. And we thank you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So if you want to turn in your Bibles to Psalm 5. I don't even need these. As Terry sang a little bit ago, we're going to go through Psalm 5. It's not very long. I think it's 11 verses. And you know, I had a completely different message prepared on my little tablet. And my little tablet tablet, uh, stopped working. And so this is a message and I'm like, oh no. And so this is a message that God put on my heart last night. And with Terry singing Psalm 5, like I said, it was just a confirmation that God didn't want my tablet to work anymore. Which I'm pretty bummed about, (laughs) actually. Because I just got it like three months ago. And uh, now it's not working. So, Anyways, we're going to start here in Psalm 5. And, And I love this because... You know, there's still uh, a argument over whether 
King David really existed. Um, there's a lot of, of unbelievers that are confident that King David did not exist. And the reason is, is because if he existed and he wrote all of these Psalms, then that's a pretty good confirmation that the Jews are who the Bible says they are. And I love how it begins, To the chief musician with flutes, a psalm of David. Now, if David didn't write that, come on, who did? <clears throat> That's not something that a uh, ghost writer would put in there. So, Psalm 5, verse 1, Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my meditation. Give heed to the voice of my cry, my King and my God, for to you will I pray. My voice you shall hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning I will direct it to you. And I will look up. Now David gives us a picture here of the importance of prayer, really. And it's important that we have a dedicated and active prayer life. But you know, it's not easy especially when you're praying for a long time and it doesn't seem that the answers are coming. And you start getting a little, you know, and trust me, I'm guilty of this. And you start arguing with God. What's the use, God? Are you listening? Are you really listening? And why is it taking you so long to answer these prayers? Can't you see how I'm suffering? Can't you see how I'm hurting? And then when we do sit down to pray, or we, or we, as I'm guilty of, lay down to pray, <laughs> that's the worst thing you can do is lay down to pray because you're halfway through it. And trust me, if, if you have insomnia, just lay down and try to pray. The enemy's going to come and, and, and put you to sleep. And so laying down to pray is not a good thing, but you know, we, we, we begin to pray and and it's amazing. All of a sudden, we get rushed. We're in a hurry. Uh, you know, I've tried to I've tried to get a prayer time with our granddaughters that live with us, and <laughs> I just stopped because I'm I'm tired of crises coming up when we <laughs> sit down to pray together. But we get rushed and we get in a hurry with our prayer, and and we're up against the clock. And so, we can tend to rush through it. And I'm not saying that God doesn't hear those prayers. But that's the enemy working against us when we're trying to seek the Lord's face. And we're, we're trying to lift up people that we love. And we're trying to lift them up in prayer. James chapter 5, verse 16 says, Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. And then he says, the effective, and this is a familiar verse to everybody, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Now, at the beginning of that verse, confess your trespasses to one another. I don't want you to come into church on Sundays or Wednesdays and start chasing people down and saying, I sinned, I sinned, let me tell you about it. Let me tell you about my sins. That's not what this verse means. What it means is that I believe James is saying that 
You know, all of us should have that brother or that sister. Guys, you need to have a brother. Girls, you need to have a sister. And never the two shall meet, (laughs) because that's a recipe for disaster. But we should all have that confident, confidant, that, that brother or sister that we can go to with, with our struggles and our trials and our tribulations, the things that, that we, that we fall, our, our mistakes, the, you know, the things that stumble us, that we can go and say, brother, I need prayer. Sister, I need prayer. I'm really struggling with, with this particular sin. And do I have someone like that in my life? Yes, I do. I have a brother who's a pastor at another church that has been my closest friend since I got saved. And what makes him close to me is we've been through the refiner's fire together. And when you've been through the fire with somebody, it brings you closer than, than you could ever know. I'm closer to him than... I've got eight brothers and sisters, and I'm closer to him than any of my brothers and sisters in my family. He's just a precious brother with me, and I can share anything with him. If, if I need to confess some sins that I'm struggling with, I can do that with him. And so it's important that we have that support, that we, that we have that closeness with a brother, with a sister. And so James goes on, and, and I want to concentrate on this, on this word fervent. James goes on to prod us in praying for one another in a labor of prayer. And so why, why do I say it's a labor of prayer? Listen to what fervent means in the original language. I love this. To be operative. To be at work. To put forth power. I like that one, you know, putting forth the power of God through prayer. To work for one or aid one. And you know, prayer is a labor. It, it can be hard work. The Bible says that prayer is a sacrifice to the Lord. And so it's, it's, it's sacrificing our time. It's sacrificing, you know, it's kind of like a sacrifice from, from the Old Testament. You know, the, God used to, God said in the Old Testament that it's a sweet aroma when they make those sacrifices. It's a sweet aroma that rises up to Him. Well, for us, prayer is a sacrifice. And it's a sweet aroma that rises up to God when we pray, when we seek His face. And so it is a labor of love to God. And we have been praying. I'll give you an example. We've been praying for a, a, an extreme prodigal child of ours. And she's been a prodigal for 17 years and still a prodigal. And you know what? It would be so easy to give up and say, she's lost. Never coming back. Never going never gonna to fall on her face in repentance. But we can't stop praying. And so it is a labor of love in our prayers for, for those situations. And I just want to share with you a, a, an illustration of, of when I was in Africa on prayer and faith. And when I was in South Sudan, I was, I was teaching on a Sunday morning 
to the to the body of Christ there at the at the compound. And after, and I noticed this woman sitting in the front row, and she had bandages on her arms and bandages on her legs, just wrapped all over the place. And I noticed that she was sweating profusely. And so after after I got done teaching, the woman that was sitting next to her brought her up to to us. It was me and um, another pastor that was there teaching that was there short term. And a, a few of our chaplains, that's what I did in Sudan, was train the chaplains for the Sudanese army. And the woman sitting next to her brought her up and she said, this is my friend and she's from Juba. Now Juba is about 200 miles away from where, I, from where we were at. And she says, she's walked and she's gotten rides on the road, which is very dangerous there, let me tell you. But she traveled 200 miles walking and getting rides in different vehicles and stuff. And she came to our compound. Now, why did she travel 200 miles to our compound? Well, she had another sister in Juba who had been poisoned, and it's very common. If somebody wants to get rid of the man, they can they can poison you. It's like you saw in the old African movies, you know, stick you with a, a, a pin and stuff. That stuff happens. They have all kinds of different poisons over there. And her sister was poisoned. And as they were carrying her, and, and you know, they, there's no cemeteries. They just take you out and they dig a hole and they bury you. And so she was helping to carry her sister to the, to the grave. And the poison was coming out of her pores. And as they carried her, the poison was the kind of poison that could, from her sweat, it got into her pores, pores, and she got poisoned also. So why did she travel 200 miles? She could not find a pastor that was willing to lay hands on her and pray for her. She didn't want someone to lay hands on her bandages. She wanted someone that was willing to lay hands on her and pray for her. And I'm standing there, and I'm like, oh... My gosh, what are we going to do here? And so I got together with the short-term pastor and the two chaplains that were with us. And I said, guys, um, we're going to have to have faith in this. We can't say no. She came 200 miles. And we, we cannot say no to her. And so she took the bandages off and we went off to the side and prayed for each other. You know, Lord... We are about to lay hands on this woman that, that could cause us to be poisoned. What kind of faith does that take for her to, to do that? To travel that far in extreme dangerous situations and come to us. And so she took off her bandages and we laid hands on her, all four of us. And we prayed for her. But you know, that took a measure of of faith. But we had to meet her faith with our faith. We had to meet her where she was at. And we had to trust in the Lord that He was going to protect us, and He did. Was I worried? Oh, yeah. <laughs> did I have a little bit of lack of faith? 
no, I had a lot of lack of faith. <laughs> I, I was pretty scared. You know, how was I going to call my wife on my little African cell phone and say, um, I'm poisoned. You may not see me ever again. But, you know, we stepped out in faith. And, and, and we were protected all to the glory of God. And it was just a, a true miracle. And, you know, we all have lapses of faith. If anybody in here says, oh, no, I, I don't ever doubt my faith. Okay. Um, I'd like to find out how you do that. But, you know, it's okay. God understands those lapses and those doubts that we have. He understands. You know, we're just fallen. We're fallen man. And that's just a part of our old flesh that, that we have such a hard time crucifying. And so we all have those lapse, uh, lapses of faith. But you know, when we face situations of faith, we must be prepared to take a step of faith and, and, and meet that faith where it's at. We have to respond to faith with faith. In verse 4, David goes on and he says, For you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness, nor shall evil dwell with you. You know, the Bible says that God cannot even look upon sin. He can't, he can't look at, at, at sin. And David says that nor shall evil dwell with you. Now, here's a real mystery in the Bible. You know, the Bible tells us that Jesus became sin. Now, what does that mean? It means that although He was not sinning, He actually became sin. And all the evil and blackness that comes along with sin, Jesus became sin. Do I understand that? No, not a bit. I, I can't even wrap my mind around how he became sin. But he had to. Because if Jesus did not become sin, sin would have had to have been judged individually. And so we would have been judged for our sin instead of Jesus. And so Jesus became sin. That's why on the cross, you know, God cannot look upon sin. And that's why Jesus said, Father, why have you forsaken me? I believe that's when the Father turned away because Jesus became sin and His Father, our Father, could not look upon Jesus because He became sin. Was Jesus in the garden when He was sweating drops of blood? Was He afraid of the scourging? Was He afraid of the mocking, the crown of thorns, the crucifixion, all of those horrible things that happened to Him? Is that why he was sweating drops of blood? Is that what he was afraid of? I don't even think he was thinking about that. Jesus was thinking about being sinless, but yet becoming sin, because he knew that was going to happen. And he knew that the sins of the world, past, present, and future, were going to be laid upon him, and he was going to become sin. And again, <laughs> that's a mystery of the Bible that I just can't, wrap my mind around, but we will understand it one day. But that's what our Bible says. And David goes on in verse 5 and he says, The boastful shall not stand in your sight. You hate all workers of iniquity. 
Who are we to boast in? We're to boast in the Lord. We're to boast in Jesus Christ. We are nothing. And we can do nothing without the touch of the Lord Jesus. Now, if I had, if I had shared that story of the poisoned woman with you, and I said something like, Man, I'm awesome. God really likes me. Notice me. Man, God really gave me that power to, to not be poisoned. Man, I am so awesome. I am boasting in myself. You know, it's like the, the toddler, the toddler creed. You know, me, me, me. Mine, 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 mine. You know, from a little kid. And, and that's what we have to avoid is, is, is sounding like that and becoming prideful and boastful. You know, the Lord abhors a prideful man, the Bible says. But here's how I looked at it then and, and, and I still do now. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And it was because of His love and His mercy that, that He chose to use me and the others who are still fallen and sinful men. And it amazes me that God would, would use us in, in that way. But He gets all the glory. And you know, when I was in Africa, I, I witnessed so many miracles. And, and I believe that the reason we see so many miracles in places like Africa is that faith is all they have. They don't have medicine. They don't have drugs. They resort to prayer first and foremost. And we don't. I don't. You know, I'm like, I'll give you the good best example. Three weeks ago, I had I have a bad back, and and I just had this attack in my back that came out of nowhere, spasms and sciatica and all that stuff and. By the time my wife took me to urgent care, I was I couldn't hardly walk, and then they had to wheel me out in a wheelchair. Did I pray? I, just, I didn't pray at all. It's like take me to urgent care, Debbie. I gotta go. I'm in so much pain. I didn't say let's pray. And, and so in Africa, I think you know that faith is all they got, and so prayer is first. And I think that why that's why we. We have seen so many miracles over there. I was praying at the hospital one day. And, and we would go over to the hospital once a week and we would pray for all the sick people. And, and I was, it was just me and I was going down the, the row of beds. And I came upon this man who had tuberculosis. And I could hear his chest rattling and, and he was in the latter stages and, I said, um, do you know Jesus Christ? And he responded, the priest was here from Kampala last week. And I knew he was a Catholic. I grew up as a Catholic. And I knew what he was saying. He was getting his last rites. And I said, you know, brother, most people speak English over there. I said, you know, brother, do you know Jesus personally as your Lord and Savior? And again, he said, the priest came down from Kampala last week. And I said, so I took a different tack. And I said, 
do you know? I said, you're, you're, you're dying of tuberculosis. You are dying, and it's coming soon. Do you know that when you die that you are going to go to heaven? And again, he said, the priest came from Kampala last week. And I said, oh, that's not what I asked you. I said, do you know if you're going to go to heaven when you die? And he said, I want to know if I'm going to, I, I, I don't know. I want to go to heaven when I die. And I said, there's only one way you're going to go, brother, and it has nothing to do with a priest. It has everything to do with your personal relationship with Jesus Christ and your repentance. So I said, you want to pray? Accept Jesus in your heart? He said, yes, I want to know that I'm going to heaven. And so we prayed and, and he accepted Jesus as a Lord and Savior. And I went on to the next beds and we got, I got done and I'm walking back down the, the middle of the, the aisle and this man who was almost too weak to breathe, he's sitting up in his bed. And I looked at him and he, he says, I'm going to heaven, I'm going to heaven. It was just such joy in, in my heart. But those are the miracles that God works using worthless, sinful people. But yet, He sees us as, as useful. He, and He loves to use us. God could touch Him and, and do that all by Himself. But He loves to use His people. David goes on in verse 6 and he says, you shall destroy those who speak falsehood. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. Now, if you're familiar with the story of David, you know that God did not allow David to build his house, to build a temple. And that was one of, the, one of David's strongest desire, uh, desires of his heart was to build God's house. Build God's temple. He wanted that so badly. But God said, no. Your son Solomon will build me a temple. You cannot build me a temple because you have blood on your hands. And so what was God talking about? David was an adulterer. He was a liar. He had blood on his hands in the form of Bathsheba's husband, whose name was Uriah, who he schemed and deceived and had murdered. It, 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 it was as if David had murdered him because he, he sent Uriah with a message to the commander of, of the army that was in battle. And the message was telling the general what to do to kill Uriah. And so Uriah was carrying his own death sentence. And God was not happy about that. And so God forgave him. We see there um, later on, and we'll look at that. But God forgave him, but there were consequences. The firstborn of David from Bathsheba died. And David laid on his face and prayed. And, and his firstborn died. His family, David was told, that the sword would not depart from his family. And it didn't. His family was cursed. He had incest. He had murder. He had rebellion. 
All of those things afflicted David and his family. And David was not allowed to build the temple, as I said. But David suffered the consequences for his sin. As we all do. We're forgiven, but man, there's earthly consequences, aren't there? There's always earthly consequences. Now David goes on and he says, But for me I will come into your house in the multitude of of your mercy. In fear of you I will worship towards your holy temple. And you know guys, that's the way we should come into the into the Lord's house when we gather together. We should, we should gather together in gratefulness and thankfulness of His great grace and mercy that He bestows upon us. And we should worship Him, as David says here, in fear of you I will worship. And you know, we can come before the Lord with a healthy fear. With a fear that knowing what the judgment is going to be like and a healthy fear knowing that we have escaped that judgment. That we will not be subject, you know, as, as Psalm 1 says, that we will not stand in the judgment with sinners. And it's just amazing how we have been delivered by His grace and His mercy. And, and we need to keep that in view eternally. Not a temporal view, but an eternal view that all these trials, all these tribulations, these prodigals that we deal with in our own families, that, that one day we are going to be in eternity with, with the Lord and it's just not going to matter anymore. We need to do what we need to do here. Pray. Set the examples. Model for our children. Train them up in the ways of the Lord. But things are still going to go wrong. And so we need to keep that eternal view and and be encouraged. Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. Jesus says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Now this is a verse that gets twisted. For us, you know... We can look at this as like, you know, oh, I'm going to ask for this and this and this and this. You know, well, I, you know, I got news for you. God's not an ATM. He's not something that we can input and get out of. And, and, and I think that we can kind of replace the word it here with salvation. Ask and salvation will be given to you. The it there is not material things. It's salvation, which is so much more than material things. Seek and you will find salvation. Knock and salvation will be open to you. And, and you know, this is a verse that the, that the churches of the health and wealth doctrine will take and, 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 and tell you this is, you know, this is, God wants to give you everything you want. So, they would say, ask and three Lamborghinis will be given to you. Seek and a fourth Lamborghini will be given to you if you ask for it. 
Knock and all the riches of the world will be given to you, will be open to you. So guys, we need to keep an eternal view. It's not about stuff. It's not about money. It's not about those material desires of our heart. And we all have them. I'd love to have a bigger house. My two cars are both well over 100,000 miles. You know, I'd love to have new cars. But that's not what I pray for. David goes on, he says, Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before my face. Do we need Jesus to lead us before our enemies? Yes, we do. You know, every day anger is growing in this world against Christians, including our own country. I don't know if you saw in the news or read about it, but the IRS just approved an atheist organization to target 99 churches in the United States that they want, to mo- they want the atheist group to monitor. It's the group for the separation of church and state, whatever they're called. I don't care what they're called. Um, but they've gotten approval from the IRS to monitor 99 churches. What are they moni- monitoring them for? Teaching the politically incorrect passages in the Bible? Homosexuality. Adultery. Abortion. You name it. These churches are being targeted to lose their 501c3 status, which if you don't know, that's the tax-exempt status that all churches have. And they want to, they're being monitored to see if these churches are too political. Fortunately, we're not on that list. We're kind of small for that, but, and I don't know what churches they are, but this is our own government. Targeting churches, targeting Christians. And if we look around the world, and, and, and you know, targeting churches for their tax exempt status is nothing. You know, in, in, in Mosul, in Iraq right now, there's no Christians left. They've, they've all fled. And, and Mosul is, is historically a, a, a seat of Christianity in Iraq. And so when ISIS came in, they began to execute Christians. They began to tell them, convert or die. They were, they were putting marks on their houses in Arabic, the letter N for Nazarene. Does it remind you of anything? The Holocaust? The Star of David? On the sleeve, on the on the house, on the business. It 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 is a modern day Holocaust. Have you read about that in the media? They don't they don't care. It's not reported. And this is a Holocaust, an actual Holocaust where Christians are being taken from their houses and killed. And they have all fled. I read today that there are no Christians left in Mosul, in Iraq. And we need to pray for our brothers and sisters around the world. There's persecution everywhere that we, that we can't imagine, that we don't experience here. And so we'd better be praying for the Lord to make our path straight for us. And He needs to be what the Bible says. We need to ask the Lord to be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. 
that He will make our path straight. Because if we do it ourselves, I know I'm going to mess it up. I'm going to be walking the crooked path. If I'm not asking Jesus to make my path straight, to, to walk in faith for what He wants me to do, then I'm going to be on that crooked path. You know, what's that old nursery rhyme? There was a crooked man. You know, that's what we'll be. We'll be the crooked man. Walking the crooked path. And David goes on, verse 9, and he says, For there is no faithfulness in their mouth. Faith, faith towards God, that is. Their inward part is destruction. Their throat is an open tomb. They flatter with their tongue. Now, has anybody in here besides me ever had someone flatter you and you're my friend and and you're just so wonderful and then you find out that, what? They're talking really bad about you behind your back and you find that out. And that, you know, it hurts bad enough, but when it's a brother or sister in Christ that just hits you in the gut. And it just tears you up when that happens. And boy, could I tell you some stories about that, that stuff happening to me by brothers and sisters. But you know, that's water under the bridge and it's not, it's not even worth talking about. You know, forgiveness is required in those situations. What was it Jesus said? Seventy times seven. That's a lot. But, that's what Jesus commands. David says, Pronounce them guilty, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Cast them out in the multitude of their transgressions, for they have rebelled against you. Notice what David's saying. He's not, he's not pronouncing his enemies guilty. He's leaving that to God, as we should. We're so easily willing. You know, Jesus said, judge the fruit of the tree. He didn't say judge the tree. And so that's what we're supposed to do. We judge the fruit so that we know what kind of tree it is. It's up to God to judge the tree. It's up to God to judge the person, their hearts, not us. Because, you know, when, when we have a brother or sister that has bad fruit, I'll tell you from personal experience and counseling and, and all that stuff, there is something going on in their lives that they are suffering with. That's where we should be ministering. That's where we should be coming alongside of them. Hey, brother, you need prayer. Sister, you need prayer. I noticed that, that maybe there's something going on in your life. You want to talk about it. That's what we should be doing. And David says, his enemies have rebelled against him. And you know, David had many enemies that, that rebelled. Even his own son. But he's not saying, Lord, they rebelled against me. I hate those guys. Even my own family, I hate them. I can't believe they, I can't believe Absalom, Absalom tried to take over the entire kingdom from me. I'm his dad. And he tried to usurp the throne from me. But that's not what David is saying. He's saying that they have rebelled against God. And remember, it was David in Psalm 51 that said, 
when he was pleading with God to forgive him for adultery and murder, he said, against you and you only have I sinned. He's not saying that he sinned against Bathsheba, that he sinned against Uriah. He's not saying that. He's saying, God, against you have I sinned and you only and and have done this evil in your sight that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Man, for the non-believer, that's a big ouchie. That's a, a, a big owie. Because when they stand before God in their sin, God is going to be just when He judges them. And He is going to be blameless when He judges them. We're not going to have to stand in that judgment. But for the unbelievers, you know, people, people have this idea that they're going to be able to negotiate with God, with the Lord. You know, but, but, but you know, you just don't know what I went through. Whew. That's going to be a good one for Jesus. He was a man. He suffered every temptation that we suffer. There's going to be no negotiation. But people tend to believe that. You know, I can convince God that I was a good person and He's going to let me into heaven. There's going to be compromise. There's going to be negotiation. God will be just when He judges and He will be blameless when He judges the only thing we're going to have to do is stand before Jesus and give an account. And then our works are going to be judged by fire, Paul tells us. And we're going to see what's left after that fire burns it up. Is it going to be straw and hay? Or is it going to be diamonds and jewels, the works that last? You know, I'm not looking forward to that day when I have to stand before the Lord and give an account for what I've done as a believer. I just, I hope I got some little coals left, you know, something that's still glowing. But that's what the Bible says that we are going to go through. Now, here's the good part. But let all those rejoice who put their trust in you. Let them ever shout for joy because you defend them. Let those also who love your name be joyful in you. Paul said in Philippians, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. And that's a hard thing to do, isn't it? When you're going through trials, tribulations, suffering, in pain. Um, you're wondering why you have cancer. You're wondering why you have this disease. You know, sometimes I, I, I just wonder why my back is so bad. But Paul's saying... You know, we're not to rejoice because we have pain. We're not to rejoice because we have sorrow. Trials and tribulations. You know, Paul isn't saying to rejoice in those things. He plainly says, rejoice in the Lord. You know, we're commanded. Part of being a Christian is, is that we're commanded to suffer for the Lord. We're to join Him in His sufferings. And we need to support each other. We need to pray for each other. And you know, as we close, as we finish, 
I was walking my dog the other day, and I just want to, it just, it was an amazing thing that I believe God showed me of exactly how we need to be as Christians. And we have these four trees in our neighborhood. And they grew up together and and they have their trunks have merged at the bottom. One tree is an oak and the other tree is I don't know. <laughs> but we have a lot of them. And and they joined at the bottom. And, and you know it just it was like you know that big oak tree that's that's a believer. And that little tree is like the world when we go back to the world as Christians. And the reason I say that is because that oak tree growing taller is putting shade onto that other tree. And the other tree is pretty tall. But it's putting shade on it. And you can look at it and you can see that it is slowly dying. Very slowly. We've lived there since 1989 and it's still alive. But you can look at it now and it's it's dying slowly. And that oak tree is sucking the water out of it. You know? And, you know, when we go back to the world, the world does that to us. It causes us to slowly die. It causes us to... Be shaded from the light. And what's the light? The light is Jesus. And, and the world puts a shade over us. And, and, and we're not seeing that light as much as we used to. And the world is just sucking the life out of us. And, and I was looking at that and I said, Oh Lord, thank you for, for revealing that to me. Thank you that you put that on my heart. And so I continued around the corner with walking my dog and there's two oak trees growing together. And I've seen that before. But they're growing together and they're joined at the trunk. They grew up together. They're one tree at the bottom, but two trees growing up. But they're the same tree. And you know what? They're both healthy. And that's the way we need to be as Christians. We need to be growing together. When we do that, we're going to be healthy we're going to be supporting each other. We're going to be sharing the water. We're going to be sharing the light. We're going to share that living water. We're going to share the light of Jesus together as believers. Amen? That's how we need to be. And David finishes and he says, For you, O Lord, will bless the righteous. With favor you will surround him as with a shield. And you know the Lord defends us. He really does. And you could say, you could ask the question, well, you know, Pastor Chuck, what about martyrs? What about those Christians that were burned to death? What about the Christians that were beheaded? Why didn't God defend them? And you know what the answer to that question is? God was defending them and either interceding them before the Father in heaven. Did they suffer? Yes. But they shared in the sufferings of Jesus. And I don't know about you guys. I don't want to die as a martyr. I've come close in in Africa with bullets and artillery and and all those things. But I I didn't want to be a martyr. I'm like, you know, Lord, I would love to die for you, but not today. 
But what would be better than to suffer for the Lord and then walk through the gates of glory knowing that you died for Jesus and the angels are going to be dancing and rejoicing because your faith was strong in the Lord, because you stood. Jesus defended them. He defended them before the Father. He's the interceder. And so God will always defend us. Always. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for that promise. Jesus, we thank You that You are our shield and our defender, our strong tower. And Lord, that we can run into You and that You will defend us. You will hedge us round with Your protection. And though, Lord, we suffer trials and tribulations and, and even death and all of these things, Lord, we know that everything is according to Your will and that You allow these things to happen. As You did with Job, Lord, You allowed so much suffering with him, but yet You taught him. You grew him through that suffering as You grow us. And so, Lord, we thank You for the good times. We thank You, Lord, for the times that we suffer with and for You. We thank You for that promise of heaven. Our salvation, Lord. Thank You for saving us. We love You, Lord Jesus. We praise You and we worship You. And it's in Your name we pray. Amen.